Today on Living in the Word with Dr. Gary Yates. Nothing can change that. Nothing can alter it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can keep God from fulfilling the covenant promises and commitments that he's made to Abraham. Hi, I'm Gary Yates, the pastor of uh, Living Word Baptist Church in Forest, Virginia. We are studying the biblical covenants, and the biblical covenants are important because they help us to see really how all of the Bible fits together. They help us to see the great story of redemption that unfolds in the scriptures and how we are included in that and a part of God's plan and God's purposes. In this segment, we are continuing our study of the Abrahamic covenant, and we will be looking at uh, its development in the book of Genesis. We saw the start of the covenant, the purpose of the covenant, and now we're looking at its development in the book of Genesis. The Abrahamic covenant was built around three specific promises that God made to Abram, and uh, these defined the relationship between God and Abraham and ultimately explained the role that Israel would have in the working out of God's plans. First, God would make Abraham into a great nation with many descendants. Second, God would give Abraham's descendants a promised land, the land of Canaan. And third, key to the plan, ultimately all peoples and families would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. God would use Israel to restore his kingdom rule over all of humanity and to bring these people back into right relationship with himself. As we trace the Abrahamic covenant through Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant is unfolded for us in four key passages, Genesis 12, 15, 17, and 22. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is like all other covenants in the Bible. They involve both promises from God and obligations that he places on those who live in covenant relationship with him. Covenants are about relationships, so it's not just promises. It's promises and responsibilities in this reciprocal give-and-take relationship. The same is true in the Abrahamic covenant, but what we see specifically in the Abrahamic covenant is that there is a movement And there is a progression from a conditional promise in Genesis chapter 12 to an unconditional oath in Genesis 22. So 11 chapters, there's a significant movement here. And in the Abrahamic covenant, God commits himself to these promises that he's made in a way that guarantees they will absolutely come to pass. Nothing can prevent God from keeping these promises, but within the relationship, within the covenant, Uh, the blessings of that covenant would be for those who are faithful and obedient to God. So the covenant story between God and Abram begins with a a conditional promise in Genesis chapter 12. We looked at this passage in our last study. God tells Abram, leave your country, your land, your family, go to the land that, that I will show you, and then I will make you a great nation, give you a land, and make you a blessing. Genesis 12, 4 says that Abraham left and did just as God had told him to. So there's a response of obedience. There's a response of faith. The promises in this chapter that God makes are conditioned on Abram's faith and obedience. He has to get up and leave and do what God has told him to do. If he had not responded in faith, 
he would have missed out on the blessings that God had for him. Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Abram's faith uh, in Genesis 12 enables his relationship with the Lord, this new relationship, to move forward. Now, we move over a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15, and what happens here, there's a significant development. The promise in chapter 12, the three promises that have been made, now become part of an unconditional covenant that exists between the Lord and Abraham. So God, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, he repeats the promises that we saw back in chapter 12, and he says to Abram, he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. So same promise, great nation that with many descendants. And Abram's response in verse 6, we read that Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him or counted to him for righteousness. Now, this is not the moment of Abram's salvation or justification. He's already entered into that kind of relationship with God. But this is the moment where Abram's faith leads God to activate and to establish a formal covenant uh, that is described in the rest of the chapter. So God, because of Abraham's faith, views him as a worthy covenant partner, and now the covenant will be initiated. The manner in which God establishes this covenant is very important. It's critically important to the story of the covenant and the nature and helping us to understand the nature of the covenant that exists. Covenant ceremonies uh, in the world of the Old Testament and in Abraham's day would have involved the sacrifice of animals. And then the, the bodies of those animals would be cut up and cut in half. They would be laid out on the ground. And, and the two parties that were making the covenant would walk between the animal parts. The significance of that ceremony was that the, the, the people entering into the covenant, the, those that were making the covenant, were, were saying, may the same thing happen to me or to us if we do not live up to and fulfill uh, the covenant commitments and responses that we're making now. If we don't keep our part of the agreement, may we become like these animals that have been sacrificed and cut up. This is a very serious and solemn moment and ceremony and uh, a, very, uh, a very solemn commitment. But in the covenant between God and Abraham, when it comes time for God and Abram to seal the deal, God puts Abram to sleep, and Abram then sees the presence of God in the form of a fire pot and a torch passing through the animal parts by himself. Adam, Abraham doesn't walk through the parts with him, and the fulfillment of these covenant promises then is completely dependent on God. God is putting a self-curse on himself if he does not keep his end of the covenant. And so the fulfillment of these covenant promises is completely on God, and God has now guaranteed these promises of great nation, land, and blessing to all peoples this will happen. Nothing can change that. Nothing can alter it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can keep God from fulfilling the covenant promises and commitments that he's made to Abraham. We now have an unconditional covenant. So in light of Genesis chapter 15 and what we just said, the covenant takes an interesting turn in Genesis 17, which happens immediately after Abram has tried to help God out by having a child with Hagar in chapter 16. 
Genesis 17 now will add conditions to the covenant. God is adding conditions to his unconditional covenant. And because of that, having conditions added to something that is unconditional, some, some interpreters have seen two different covenants between God and Abraham, one that's unconditional in chapter 15 and then the one that's conditional here in chapter 17. I think the better way to understand what's happening here is that both chapters are part of the same covenant. And as the covenant develops and progresses and the relationship moves forward, God is simply further defining what this relationship is like and and what this relationship is supposed to be. Covenants are about relationships, uh, which means that they involve, again, promises and obligations. God is unconditionally committed to fulfilling these covenant promises, but he demands faith and obedience from Abraham and from anyone who will ultimately want or desire to experience the blessings of the covenant. So even with like an unconditional promise in a covenant, there are still conditions that exist. For Abraham, the two conditions in Genesis 17 are this. Genesis 17, 1 and 2. God tells Abraham to walk before him and to be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham is to live a life of faithful integrity and obedience to the Lord. That's that's the expectation of him as a faithful covenant partner. The only way that the covenant promises could be fulfilled was actually for Abraham to lead his family to God so that they could lead the nations to God. So this condition is intrinsically related to the covenant to begin with. The second condition in Genesis 17, verses 9 to 13, is that Abraham and his descendants are to practice circumcision as a perpetual sign of the covenant that they had with God. The rainbow was the sign of the covenant with Noah. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant with God. Circumcision would show... Uh, you know, in a continuous way, how the covenant promises would pass on from father to son, from one generation to the next. So one of the conditions placed on Abraham here, he has to have surgery. And he has to have this surgery of circumcision as an expression of his faith and confidence in God. Abraham's obedient response in chapter 17, all of his house is circumcised, allows the covenant to for him to experience the blessings of the covenant that God has promised, the story keeps moving forward. When we look at Genesis chapter 22, the final one that I want us to see, there's one more condition that's placed upon Abraham, and this is the hardest one of all. God is testing Abraham's faith, and he says that Abraham is to go and to offer his promised son Isaac, the one that he's waited for 25 years the one who is essential for the fulfillment of the covenant promises that God has made to him. He is to offer him as a sacrifice and a burnt offering to God on the mountain where God takes him. This is a test of Abraham's obedience. And, and in this test, he's right at the point where he's about to kill God, or about to kill uh, Isaac. He has his hand uh, with the knife in his hand over his son on the altar. And that's the moment when God stops him. This is a test of obedience, and and Abraham acts in faith because he believes that God is even able to raise his son Isaac from the dead. But in response to that faith, when the Lord stops him and says, "I, I know that you fear me and love me, and I know that you trust me, in response to his faith, the Lord promises him 
in Genesis 22, verses 16 to 18. Listen to the verses. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed or bless themselves because you have obeyed my voice. All right, here's the progression. The unconditional covenant in Genesis 15 has now become an unconditional oath in Genesis 22. An oath is even more certain and definite and binding and permanent than a covenant. Hebrews 6 says that God's oath here is certain because of two things. Number one, God can't swear by any greater power than himself. He can't take an oath that would be more binding than this one. And two, it's impossible for God to lie. So the covenant made it certain. The oath makes it even more certain. And what we see in the rest of the book of Genesis from this point forward, the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, great nation, land, blessing to all people, are repeated to the subsequent generations. It's repeated to, to Isaac, to Abraham, or I'm sorry, to Isaac and to Jacob. And when the covenant promises are repeated there, no conditions are ever attached to the covenant in the way that they were with Abraham. Faith and obedience is still expected. That's what a faithful covenant partner does. Faith and obedience are necessary to enjoy the blessings of the covenant, but God is unconditionally committed to this covenant, and he overcomes in the, in the rest of Genesis, the rest of Scripture, every obstacle that stands in the way of him fulfilling these promises including even the failure and the disobedience and the lack of faith of his own people. Moving beyond Genesis, we will see in our next study that the Abrahamic covenant is God's enduring plan of salvation, and ultimately it will lead us to Jesus, as all of these covenants do. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the Savior of the world. He's the culmination of these promises that God has made.